millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello, I'm Alison Rudd. I'm joined in the studio by Julian Laurens, Clive Petty, and down the line, still rubbing after sun lotion onto his nose after his day at a sun drenched Anfield, we have Oliver Kay. A reminder that you can see all the goals and the rest of the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. We will be discussing City's trip to the Emirates, Everton's win at the Cottage, how Liverpool tore into Spurs and for a piece of public service broadcasting we'll take a look at the Nations League. But first, a quick word about Chelsea, seeing how both Jules and I were at Sellers Park. Turned by Balassi, back to Ward again. Oh, it's gone in! It's an own goal, I think, by John Terry. Ledley's going to claim it, but I think the Chelsea captain got the final decisive touch. And Chelsea, who can't afford to slip up here, are a goal down to Crystal Palace. Jules, I don't know if you agree with me, but I've never quite seen so much or heard so much politicking after a football match. This seemed to be a treatise by Jose Mourinho. I was right all along. I don't have the players. I don't have the resources for a team to make an assault on the title. And look, look, everybody, I was completely right. They lack the character. I need a new striker. He was almost... And I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to say he seemed quite pleased that he'd been proven right. I was exactly <laughs> going to say that. I think he was disappointed by the defeat and the, the performance. But when he came to, to speak to us after the game, he looked like he's proven his point and he was, he was actually quite chuffed about it. And he was saying, you see, I told you, now, now it's too late. We, this, it doesn't depend on us enough and we've too far, blah, 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 all that things. But you're right, he looked... I told you, you know, I told you, I told you, you got, you know, you got carried on and I didn't and I told you we couldn't win it and this and that. And, and it's very, I, I find it really sad. Sad? Yeah, sad in a way that after a defeat like that, the only thing he finds to say is, I told you I was right, we couldn't win it. You know, I just think like if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be quite disappointed by his reaction after the game. Oh, I think quite a lot of Chelsea fans are also relieved. I think they prefer the idea that they're the underdogs in some way and they're chasing. I don't think they felt very comfortable with this status of leading the table and it's all about them. Maybe, but I still think they could have won the league, definitely. And and maybe if he had behaved differently in a way that he 
always claimed that they couldn't win it and everything. And I, I don't know what kind of message that sent to his players and his dressing room, but if he'd been a bit more positive, I, I really genuinely think that they could have won it. Right, we're not going to ask anyone else because they weren't there. <laughs> in here towards Arteta. There's a menace about Arsenal here. Rosicki gives Jones the attack. Flamini, it's 1-1! Arsenal right back in this game. Right, let's move to the draw, Arsenal-Man City game. City kicked off against Arsenal and they knew Chelsea had slipped up. Vincent Company said it was not a bad point on Twitter. I, I personally would disagree with that. I think Arsenal were wobbly in the first half and that's the when City should have really gone for the jugular and put the game out of sight. Clive, would you, would you agree with me? Was that a wasted opportunity by City? Yeah, possibly. They didn't. When I mean, they started off quite positively, but Arsenal at least learnt their lesson from a week ago and set up a bit more solidly for the challenge that faced them this time round. But I don't think Arsenal, from one week or just during their bad run, have suddenly become the sort of team that um, you should actually just go there and expect to turn them over. They're still a good team. You know, I think normally you would come away from the Emirates with a point. I think you would say that's you know that is a good point, and they they. They didn't take advantage of their first half display and Arsenal did have a sort of half an hour in the second half where they were by easily the better team. So I think at the end of the day, a good point is probably, is, is probably what it was. Mm. Oliver? It's certainly one of the um, one of City's tougher games um, between now and the end of the season. The problem is they have, they have got quite a few tough games. Southampton, um, Everton, uh, Liverpool, obviously. They are going to... Ha- I mean, they, they, they can't be thinking... As they go into these games, well, a draw will be enough today. A draw will be enough today. I mean, City need to get wins on the board. I mean, everybody's looking at the the games in hand that they have and and thinking that. Well, I think everybody outside Liverpool would probably say City are just about favourites, but they do have to win those games. They can't just draw. So, I mean, the fact is, we don't know. We don't know yet whether it's a whether it's a good result. No, true, Jules. What what did um what did Arsenal do in the second half to to improve? How did they do that? I think physically they were, which is you know a bit surprising. I think, but they were they were on top physically. I thought City uh, played obviously on Tuesday like like Arsenal, so they on that level it was the same. But I think physically they really dropped. They really dropped in the second half, City. You could see that they looked tired, that the passing was not as good. Even David Silva was not as good as in the first half. And I, and I, I really wish that Pellegrini had done some changes earlier on because I really think that the team needed that. And on the other hand, Arsenal were, were much, much stronger physically, probably because they were at home and, and they really they couldn't afford the, the defeats you know, in front of their own fans. And I, and I think that it was probably just a question of managing City's starting eleven better by Pellegrini in terms of making changes earlier on than he did, I think. And and they could have probably won it. But I think, yeah, physically the difference was in the second half. And they were more sensible in their defending, perhaps, Clive? Yeah, they didn't try and play so far forward up the pitch as they had done in the previous games. Although, having said that, I still think there were, there were times where their full-backs were caught quite far forward. At times, which is probably more than they should have done. But um, yeah, they were they they had the more solid look about them. They looked as if they had bothered to you know look back at what happened in the last couple of weeks. And what are they now? Are they a team that are, as it stands, are they a team hoping for the title? Or are they a team worried no. that they won't even make the Champions League? Which they're, which are they? They're a team going for the Wenger Cup as they kind of normally do, a top four finish. And um, and I think that is what they will achieve. I think they will. I think the, the top four are as they are now. I, I, Everton are in a, a great moment, but I, I think Arsenal are going to stay there. And Ollie, if, I mean, you know, there are rumours that if 
Wenger does not manage to pull off the FA Cup this season and they don't finish fourth, that has to be the end. Is that, is that a reasonable assumption? You could make a, you could make a case either way for saying um, that it would be a good time. They win the FA Cup, he gets his happy ending, uh, which isn't easy to achieve, and, and, um, and, and you know, he can go off as a winner. Or you could say, if they don't win anything, well, that's the final straw. But I mean, I think they should stick with him. I think he should stick with them as long as he's enjoying it. And I, I, don't, think this, I don't think this has been a, a bad season for Arsenal. I know expectations were, were raised and then briefly dashed, and I think they would probably be looking at what Liverpool are doing and thinking, well, Liverpool can do it while not necessarily shopping at the top end of the market and not spending shed loads on wages. Why can't we? But I, I think what Liverpool are doing is slightly exceptional. No doubt we'll come back onto that. But I, I, if, if Arsenal were to win the FA Cup and finish uh, in the top four, that would surely be progress, wouldn't it? And Wenger would, in my opinion, be entitled to stay or go as he pleases. Well, I know I'm going to contradict myself here, but what if Everton, by any strange stretch of the imagination, did sneak into that fourth place? Would the FA Cup actually be good enough? I mean, would that make him a winner? It means that like, after so many years of successive Champions League qualifications, it's slightly ironic that he actually ends up with a trophy, whereas the trophy lords more over that is the one he doesn't get, which is the, the, the Champions League qualification. He's had that thrown back at him so many times that, that come on, fourth place isn't a trophy, it's the FA Cup you want to win. I, th- I think if, if they got it the other way around, if they, if they won the FA Cup and, and finished fifth, if he found everyone sort of uh, saying, that's not good enough, you needed to finish in the champion, you needed the top four, the FA Cup's no good, I, I think he would be entitled to think... Um, oh, I'm not really saying that, I'm just using his kind of logic, really. I mean, it, does, that, does, that, does that actually enable him, as you say, to walk away as... Yeah, that's great. I'm I don't think he's or... that. I, well, I don't. Do you, what do you think? Well, I don't, I don't think, think so he's either. a sort of bloke no. that would take a romantic thing like the FA Cup, where it, you know, it's not. It, they're expected to win the FA Cup, aren't they? So to mm. to walk away with yeah. the FA Cup, I don't. I don't think yeah, he's the, the sort of man Newcastle that would think, "Wow, wow, May, look at me! It, I'll walk um, off into when, the sunset." Um, Arsenal clinched top four on the last day of the season, and, and you know their players were celebrating a lot and got a lot of stick from other clubs fans for celebrating a lot in front of the fans for finishing fourth but it's nothing compared to winning the FA Cup it's no it's it's I mean it, you could say it's a better achievement in some ways to finish fourth over the course of the season in the Premier League but it's it's a far more resonant success to to, to win the FA Cup and they should be capable of, of, of doing both because I, I think what Everton are doing is is fantastic but Arsenal do have an advantage points wise and they will feel as long as they can avoid defeat at Goodison that, that, that they will be in the top four, but they do sort of make it hard for themselves at times, Arsenal, to finish in the top four. And th- th- they are a far better team with Flamini. Here's Lukaku and Leighton Baines outside him. Baines has done well, pull it back. Miralas, Heitinger, might have been a handball in there. It'll fall for Naismith anyway, and that wraps it up for Everton. Well, let's, let's move on to the team that could whisk away that fourth place finish, which is... Everton, who won um, with a rather fine second-half display at Craven Cottage. Roberto Martinez, he seems to be the master of tinkering during a game. He makes great substitutions. Fulham, I think most people would agree, were spirited. They looked quite good. They created chances. And it was all about Everton and Roberto Martinez just seeing it wasn't going to plan and making those changes. He is... Proving himself to be a uh, astute tactician, it has to be said. It's testament as well to 
the kind of uh, reserves of strength that Everton have, I think, that they, he has the ability to change those things around. I mean, I mean, who was it? Came with, uh, Morales and Naismith. I mean, Morales, if you can put him on the bench in the first place, I think he's a fine player. I'm not quite sure, was it, I'm not quite sure why he was on the bench, whether that was tactical or not, but the fact that both he and Naismith came on and had such a devastating effect on the game is a very positive thing for the strength of Everton and shows that I think Martinez is proving that he's up there with, you know, I think they were saying there was something that his substitutes have scored as many goals as substitutions made by Mourinho in games this season. And so, you know, if he's hailed as a great tactician, so Martinez should take all the plaudits that are coming to him, really. I mean, Naismith, he's just. I don't know. Every time I see him, maybe it's just when I see him, but whenever I see him, I think, wow, who are you? Oh, yeah, I remember. You're good. <laughs> and I think Martinez deserves some credit the way he changed Nesmith as well. If you compare him to last season, for example, he's, too compl- he's his brother, he's his twin. You know, it's, it's not possible <laughs> that he's the same player as he was last season or even the seasons before. And I think it's credit to Martinez, who, who, in my opinion, has done everything Perfect. Apart from maybe the, the game at Liverpool where I think he got the tactics wrong and, and they got battered. But apart from that game, I think almost everything he's done this season, from the recruitment in the summer, even the recruitment in January with, with Magidi, for example, but everything from start to finish has been almost perfect. And that's why they are where they are. And, and turning Naismith into a super sub match winner player, which 12 months ago, if I told you that, you would have said, who? Stephen, yeah, yeah. no way. I think that deserves a lot of credit for Martinez as well. Oliver, do you, I mean... We've we've spoken about how it's it's probable that Arsenal will hold on to the fourth spot, but it would be nice, wouldn't it, if Everton could break break into that top four? And would um, would you think they could cope with it? I, I wouldn't really worry about whether they would be able to cope with it. I, I think I think it'd be brilliant if if, if Everton um, if Everton did get into the European Cup, and it's been a long time since they have. I mean, they they, they had the qualifier in two thousand and five and got. Knocked out quite controversially by Villarreal. They obviously didn't get in when they won the league in um, in the mid '80s twice. Um, and it's you know it, it would be a, a romantic story to have Everton back in the Champions League or, or back in the European Cup. It would be, it would be fantastic. I would absolutely relish going to um, Goodison for a Champions League night. It, it, it would be fantastic, like it, like it is at Anfield and like it will be next season at Anfield. Presumably. And there would be another nail in the David Moyes coffin, wouldn't yeah. it? Well, I mean, it, it's uh, it was always felt that there was a there was a glass ceiling um, at Everton when um, when Moyes was there, and to be honest, I think there was, and, and I, I don't I don't really subscribe to this sort of slightly re- revisionist view that Moyes did a bad job at Everton. I think Moyes did a fantastic job at Everton, but maybe after you know twelve years of of just hitting the same point, maybe if you then get the appointment right and and get somebody who's who can lead players to believe that there isn't a glass ceiling and and get them to perform above themselves and take it to a new level, then then it's it's amazing. I, I think he has done a sensational job, Martinez, and it's. I mean, I I don't think it's damning of David Moyes. I think it shows what a, what strong foundations he built over the way that Martinez has, has taken it on. Is fantastic. Like I said, it's another nail in the uh, David Moyes' coffin. <laughs> um, what what do we think of the way that Felix McGat is coping with um, Fulham and trying to haul them out of the bottom three? He seems to have faith in very young players who have very little experience, but on the other hand. The first half display, at least, was vibrant, and it did look briefly like they might get a result. Okay, let's let's forget the history of why he's there. It is slightly ridiculous that there's a ma- new manager with no Premier League experience there. But given that he is there, what is he doing? The right things to try and haul them out? 
I don't really know what he could do to haul them out. I don't think there is a way of hauling Fulham out. I'm, kind of, I'm sorry, yeah. Sorry, it sounds like a bit heresy in front of you, Alison, but I just think they're doomed. And I'd be, I'd be interested to find out what some of his more experienced, I mean, you know, um, as well as the intriguingly named Moussa Dembele, the other Moussa Dembele played, and uh, I forget the name of the other, the other young guy who came on as a sub, but I'd be interested to see what Darren Bent and the likes of what you can't actually get in that team who is an, ex- who is an experienced try and just, I'd, I'd love to know what, what is going on there that Felix Magath has taken a look at this and just gone for the kids, as it were, and putting their faith in such a situation. On the other hand, they're Or is running. he just thinking, well, we're going down anyway. No, no, no. Well, no, 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 no. well let's just look at the other side. The run-in is they have home games and against Norwich, Hull and Palace. It could be a cauldron at the cottage. And this, it could... <laughs> Oliver, it stop could, it. It could be quite an amazing end of season finale for them. Julian, could it not? Oh, the Julian, Julian, Julian you, I've never seen anyone look because, so cynical ever. Because, because it's you, I, I agree with you. I think they can do it. I think if I think Magath probably has the, the character and the temper to, to spur them on and, and to achieve um, and to manage to, to save them up. And, and, and I think, I agree with, I agree with Clive, he's, he's still doing some weird things with, with, his, with his squads. But at least he's got, he's got an idea and he's, he's going for it and... We'll see at the end of the season if, if it worked or not. I hope for them it does. And but that running is very important. You said, you know, the, the, the crowd on, on, on Sunday look really, really up for it. You know, they believe as well that they can stay up, which is very important, especially for those three three key home games against like uh, you know, team just above them or not far from them. So uh, yeah, I'll agree with you. I think they can do. <laughs> Final word, Ollie. What would it take? What what does it need for Fulham to escape? Well th- th- those three home games, I mean uh, they do present them with some kind of opportunity, but they, they don't look at the moment like a team who's going to take that opportunity. They don't look like a team that is going to keep a clean sheet, although they did against Newcastle, didn't they? But they, they, I mean, they, they've conceded 73 goals. That is 27 more than Sunderland. Fulham just can't defend, and they've had three different managers this season. None of them have, have managed to make Fulham look remotely solid, remotely resilient, or remotely organised, really. And, and you can say that Martin Yole probably wasn't the right manager to take them into the season because he'd, he'd been struggling. Uh, I think a malaise had set in. Mullenstein, I thought, was a weird appointment, a naive appointment, but just at the point where it seemed like he might have a slight chance of turning things around and, and settling on a, a, a different way, he got the sack replaced by Magat. And it, it just, I mean, I, you know, it just looks like a completely regrettable season, doesn't it? It looks like they've made all the wrong decisions um, at a boardroom level. They, they've bought poorly, you know, drifting, drifting, drifting aimlessly and sort of quite meekly towards, uh, towards relegation. Which would mean when they stay up, we'll all be saying, what a miracle. Liverpool have started games very quickly this season. The opposite has been true for Spurs. Now Glenn Johnson. Oh, it's a decent ball across that Eunice Cabal has contrived to put into his own net. It's taken less than two minutes for Liverpool to find the breakthrough. It's a calamitous own goal from Eunice Cabal. And it's one that, as things stand, puts Liverpool top of the table. So let's move to Anfield, where the sun shone and the goals were scored. We will, we will come on to, to the free-scoring team that is Liverpool, but the most astonishing... I just have to get this off my chest, really. The most astonishing thing that happened this weekend was that Tim Sherwood decided 
He wants to be so much the opposite of a clipboard manager that he went to Anfield without even bothering to watch footage of the, def- the heavy defeat that AVB suffered at the hands of Liverpool at White Hart Lane. And he thought, he thought that was the right way to approach the game. And the other thing that didn't make any sense at all was that he has said quite recently, Tim Sherwood, that the, the fact that he um, uh, is passionate and says what he feels and will have a go at the players if he doesn't feel they're they're giving enough that has reaped rewards and they have been playing better and for some reason he decided therefore it was clever to sit in the stands and not come down to the touchline and tell them to up their game a complete set of illogical managerial decisions there so Clive to you given that setup it was a bit easy for Liverpool wasn't it disgustingly easy I mean they might as well have not sent anybody out there with much resistance that Spurs put up I mean and absolutely right those shots from the tunnel I I I hope his lawyers aren't listening, but if, if Jan Vertonghen, if he hadn't got injured, I suspect he would have tried to have got himself sent off because he just didn't give the air of a bloke who wanted to be there, who thought there was any reason for being at Well, that you know stadium. your Spurs, Clive. What, 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 Vertonghen was the most praised defender last season. Yeah. Everyone was gushing about how lucky Spurs were to have him. What, is, what has gone wrong? I don't know. I, I suspect... I suspect the sort of either the change in well the same sort of managerial setups from from what he was told to play like under ABB to Sherwood um, hasn't helped him. He doesn't like being played out of position. That's fairly obvious. You know when he's stuck out in the fullback positions, he really seems to resent that. And he just is an air of a bloke who thinks I'm not quite sure how long he's got left in his contract, but he really thinks he should be somewhere else now because the the, the 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 top four carrot isn't there anymore yeah, there's a World Cup in the summer I suspect he wants to think he thinks he should be in a team that makes him look a dance like be- you know, just look a bit better but at that same token it's responsibility to yourself you've got to show some willingness and some and some to use Mourinhoism some balls yourself to mm. get in there and there was absolute total lack of that from Tottenham and to give Sherwood his due he's absolutely right for the, the farcical start after two minutes, no, no coach. That, that everything has gone out the window if you start a sluggish. Well, what, what exactly has gone out the window if you haven't even sat down with the players and showed them footage of what went well, wrong last I, time? Well, look, I, I assume he did say something, even if it wasn't to show them. It may well have been. Don't show them. It may have been an idea not to show them that five 0 because you don't want to be reminded. The idea being, look. You know, you know, you lost five 0 last time. I don't need to tell you about that. You don't need to know how bad you were for that one. What I want is to not repeat that. Go out there and show that that five 0 was just a complete abnormality. It didn't happen. But the exact opposite happened. They just turned up as if they did turn up as if. Oh, God, we got done. We got done five 0 by this lot last time, didn't we? So sort of like you know, well. Likely it is we're going to lose again, isn't it? And then within two minutes, the most farcical bit of defending. I mean, you know, even me watching on the telly saw uh, uh, Johnson. I was going, Johnson is going to run down. (laughs) How Ericsson didn't see that, I have no idea. And it was just, the whole thing just summed up. That first own goal just summed up. And from then on, from then on, you think, we're not getting anything out of this one. It It was laborious. There was no... Guile, there was no urgency. Even even in the moments where there was about a ten or fifteen minute period, I think, in that first half where they showed that Spurs had the majority of possession. But did what with it? They did nothing. They just passed it across the front of Liverpool. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There was no sort of urgency of, of actually trying to take the game to them. And I'm not quite sure whether that's the players or the, they're not responding to Sherwood, or, or as you say, Sherwood up in the stand isn't going to influence. He's tried the... I don't know what's left of him. He's tried the gilet throwing. He's tried the, the <laughs> distance up in the stands. I'm, I'll be interested to see what he comes out with next. Jules, I mean, it's the that, that that performance might sort of be the last straw as far as Daniel Levy's concerned. I mean, I was speaking to Tony Pulis in the week in the build-up to the game against Chelsea, and he was he was saying, what you do is you take clips from the previous game. So he took the game at Stamford Bridge in December, which... Um, Crystal Palace lost but you take the clips that matter the things you think you can improve on learn from and you put them together in a package for the players you do you you have to look that's the advantage of having played them before you look at what you've done and what you could do better and I think for him to be so for Sherwood to be so open about not wanting to take that approach and then delivering that performance can Levy still have faith in him do you think? I, I don't think Levy Never really had any faith in him, yeah, to be fair. No, he did, it, he, did it, he did it before he became a manager, because he thought he was a potentially a very good manager. Maybe. I, I wouldn't even trust him with my five-year-old team, Tim Sherwood. I think he's a young <laughs> Harry Redknapp. He knows nothing about tactics. He doesn't care about tactics. He's all about, you know, talking to the players and, and like, getting angry at them when they're not playing well. I, I, just, I, I just can't see... I just don't see anything in him as a manager. I really do, and, and I, he looks—he looks nice to me. I don't know. He's probably a nice guy. I, I just—how—it's not too much that you didn't want to watch the the, the five-nil defeat at home. Why don't you just watch Liverpool playing at home against Arsenal yeah. or other games? If you don't want to, to your own players to see their, their own defeat in the first game, fair enough. But at least show them clips of how Liverpool are setting up up front, how they're playing in the in the counter attack when they have the ball. When you just can't go into a game like that by not preparing it at all whatsoever, you know, and, and getting it completely wrong, everything. The, you know, even if they had, hadn't considered that goal after two minutes, they would have gone battered. They would have done battered because he got it completely wrong. And I think the players knew it from the start. And, and I just, I, I think the players have lost faith in him a long, long time ago as well. And despite a few better performances in the last few weeks, like for, against, against Arsenal, for example, I think that was down to their own pride nothing to do with Sherwood, his tactics or them responding to his, his, uh, him shouting at them after Chelsea game, for example. No, okay. well, from one, one manager who, who um, doesn't apply detail to one that is dossier crazy, Brendan Rodgers. I mean, was this 
yet more evidence that he, he doesn't take anything for granted, Ollie. I mean, he, he switched to 4-3-3, I think. I, I think he could have played any formation against Spurs, but he was, he's always trying to be one step ahead of the opposition, isn't he? And keep them on their toes. Yeah, and the, the, one of the great things that when you're watching Liverpool, it, it's not always very clear how they're playing. I mean, they, they, they're so fluid, they're so fluent, and they they move everyone around, and Sterling moves around, Henderson moves around, Coutinho moves around, and Suarez and Sturridge are constantly on the move, and it's 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 just fantastic to watch. There's a real sort of sense of plan and structure to it. Yeah, I, I would say I've, I've never seen a team looking, an English team looking so confident and playing sort of so far above what was previously expected of them. Ooh, uh, big uh, praise, big that, praise, Mister. I, I, I mean it because if you go back to the um, the start of the season, if you go back eighteen months to sort of midway through or early stages of last season, it's it's largely the same group of players, bar Mignolet, who I think is a bit iffy anyway, um, Coutinho and Sturridge, and they haven't invested vast sums of money in this team. It's generally the same players and. What he's done with Henderson and and Sterling and Flanagan and Sturridge is sensational. I mean, they, they, they are looking far, far, far better players than anyone dreamed that they would be. And Suarez, Suarez is looking a far, far better player than anyone thought he was. I mean, everybody has always known Suarez is a brilliant footballer and that he can be one of the best in the world. But he, he has gone from, as, mean, as Mourinho would put it, a top talent into a top player. I mean, it, it is legitimate to say he's, you know, one of the top five, top potentially top three in the world at the moment. He's, he's playing sensation. I didn't even think that was one of his best games yesterday, but he was still jaw-dropping to watch. Right, OK. Given all that, Clive, what would you do if you were if you were Pellegrini or Mourinho and you're going to Anfield? How do you counter all that Oliver has just gushed about? When, do, when did I become Oliver, by the way? What, 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 <laughs> what, 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 I'll That's your byline. It's your byline. It's your byline. You're called, you're called Julien, Jules. I mean, come on. <laughs> and, and people, are, our esteemed listeners are, are, are going to be thinking, um, you know, who is he? O- o- Ollie's had an Andrew Cole moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Clive, if you are Pellegrini or Mourinho and you've just listened to Ollie's Thank you. gushing comments about. <laughs> Liverpool. I mean, how? What? What do you do? What do you do? Yeah, it's interesting. City will probably be City as they as they normally. They they they'll probably still think they can take the the game forward and and try to possibly win the game at Anfield. I mean, Mourinho, uh, he's better. You know, as I said to you the other day, it's it's the big games in which that bring out the best in him. And, and hopefully it's what Mourinho Chelsea. said on Saturday. You know, as I said, yeah, exactly. I mean, as I said to you, I, thought I could see it beforehand. It was, it was an Aston Villa and a sort of West Ham moment coming up on that Saturday sure enough it, it kind of came to pass but so he may well adopt the attitude that of, of when he went to City you know because City at that moment were in their free scoring moment and everyone held it as a, a kind of masterclass that they came away with that with that victory so I assume he may well adopt the same tactics but Liverpool I mean as Ollie said that they are devastating to watch at the moment I mean it, it, I realised yesterday was a bit like, it was, it was, it was just too easy for them so it might be hard to judge but in other games they have just they've showed no fear they really have and that's you know what's their weakness Jules? I, th- I think it's, it's a very unbalanced team and, and, I, and I think it was always like that through the season um, when the, I was at the City game just on Boxing Day or just after Christmas where they should have won it but because there was that 
that team was so unbalanced between of you know the the of offensive and the defensive um, situations, if you want, they, they they ended up losing that game where they shouldn't have lost it, and I think that's what will cost them against Chelsea and probably City, even if especially more at home. I just think they they're so good going forwards. But they're so vulnerable as well defensively because they're so going forward. They're so good going forward that I think when they're going to play against City and Chelsea, especially Chelsea, Mourinho will prepare something just perfect to get them on the counter attack and just catch them when they're all going forward. And even if I agree with Oli when he said that everybody's moving so much that they they, they have covers sometimes. I just think that they're too attacking minded and. The balance is not there enough between going forward and defending. If there's a way of keeping Flanagan and Johnson back, as well, uh, that that could be the way to it uh, to, to, to 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 stop Liverpool in their tracks. Because as I said, going forward, and funnily enough, we would, we'd been talking earlier in the season about how it was defensively that was going to be um, Liverpool's Achilles' heel. I mean, they when they concede goals, they don't just concede, seem to concede the one; they do concede two or whatever in a game, even to the likes of. Fulham, you know, but they can't keep relying on the fact that they're going to score three or four all the time. Public service broadcasting now, the Nations League, which has led to many a raised eyebrow amongst football lovers. It is the brainchild of UEFA who say that they have taken on board all those football fans' complaints that international friendlies are a waste of time. And they're trying to make um, international games more interesting and have a tad more um, importance. So there will be qualification for European Championship places attached to this new league. They say, UEFA says the reason is just to make fans happy. Not many commentators are going along with that. They feel that this is Michel Platini's way of seducing the smaller nations who don't feel they have a voice on the international stage and he will need their votes if he's to be a bigger wig than he is in the world stage of football. Is that a fair summary, Julian? Am I wrong to be a little bit cynical about why this Nations League is about to come? Well, 2018, not about to, but... No, I think you're spot on. Everything you said was just perfect. It, I just I just don't don't get it. I mean... My opinion is, not long ago, Argentina came to play in France in a friendly in February. Diego Maradona was the manager. Lionel Messi was at his best. I had friends who, who travelled from Paris to Marseille just to see Messi, just to see Maradona. That nation comes mean no more games against South American teams, no more games against African teams, no more games against Asian teams or whatever. And if you just, if Michel Platini was just not thinking just about Europe, but also about the rest of the world, for those countries there... It's bad. So, what, like, Brazil will end up playing friendlies with Australia and Japan and never against European teams, and European teams won't be able to play against other teams than just in Europe because of that nation, nation cup or national league or whatever it's called. I just think it's wrong from start to finish. Well, the UEFA website says, don't worry, folks, or don't worry, Jules. They say uh, there will be opportunities yeah, sure. to play um, intercontinental, but it does make it sound like there would be few and far between. Clive, exactly. are you a fan yeah, of this when are they When are they going to do that? Because uh, all these games, are, don't they rearranging this kind of calendar that all these games are played in a block? So if you're playing what, the best of what Europe has to offer in that block... I'm assuming you're playing the rest of the world outside of that block. And that's what they're trying to avoid, isn't it? To, to making clubs angry who don't want to release their players for the so-called meaningless friendly. I'm interested, actually, Jules. Do you have this concept of the meaningless friendly, that is the, the phrase that is just so <laughs> huge in this country? Because I, I, 
Oh, say it in French. Say it in French. What is it in French? Meaningless friendly. You say match amical, which is friendly and meaningless. Oh, you're right, Clive. The concept doesn't even doesn't exist. exist. No, because in France we think that any games, whether it's a friendly or not, has, has an importance somewhere. Somewhere. Even if you try new players, if you try new tactics. And that, that's my point. You see, the, the whole idea of friendlies was that there was a chance to actually kind of experiment. I've never, it's when people go on about the number of substitutions made in matches. And well, that's because you're using that match to blood new players, to find out how they react. In, it gets a bit monotonous if you throw one about nine players or something or change the entire team but that is the point of a friendly you know you don't want to throw in the likes of I don't know Ross Barkley or whatever it is in, in matches against you know in a, in a in Europe, vital European Championship qualifier if there is going to be such a thing ever <laughs> again that's what the point of a friendly is and I don't see the, the in this concept there's no room for that I don't I don't like the idea and uh, what's the point of this championship when we already have a European Championship Oh, I can tell. I can tell. Ollie's a big fan, though. <laughs> well, you're going to be surprised. I, <laughs> I, I, I like the idea. I think something has to be done about uh, international football because I think it's just stagnated for years. I think it's been totally you know, overshadowed by the club game, by the Champions League, and, and maybe this won't do the trick. But it's at least doing something. And, and I, I like the idea of countries playing against each other with something at stake, this promotion relegation idea, certainly having more of the top teams playing each other. I've got to say, it excites me in a way that the Euro 2016 qualifying draw doesn't. Is this enough, um, chaps, for Platini to take over from Blatter? Is this is this his masterstroke? Is this a concerted political campaign? I think he will get some votes. From it? Yeah, from it, definitely. And, and, and I think he will, he will get the FIFA job. I think he wants it. That, that was always his aim anyway. UFA was just you know, step in, in between to get to the, the top, top level. But just to come back on it, my point, my, my problem as well with it is, is in terms of development for your country, because there will be four different divisions, you can assume that countries of the same level will play against each other in the, in the nation league, which means if you play against a team that is your, your same level, you're not going to improve a lot. In the friendlies, you had the chance to play against a stronger team than you, where your younger players, your less experienced players, will get a, you know, a proper game, will improve because they will play against a much stronger position than them. If, if they, they play those kind of national league cup game against similar level as their team, they're not going to improve whatsoever. It would be meaningless in the way that some people think those friendlies are meaningless, but then they're not meaningless when you play against a stronger opposition because you learn a lot. You don't learn a lot when you play against a team that is exactly the same level as you. You know, whether you're Albania and you play against Georgia, you don't learn anything. Whereas if you're Albania, you're playing against France or Italy, you learn much more than, than, than a game against a, a team of your level. Well, it strikes me that it's a bit like Davis Cup tennis and the only, <laughs> the only time people are going to get really excited about it is when your nation is relegated into a, a zone you don't think is appropriate. <laughs> right, time for any other business. Go on. What is your gripe? I thought hard about that since you mentioned it to me on Saturday at Hello Spy saying, don't forget, you have to come up with something. <laughs> so I did. And I'll what take... if we've all come up with the same thing? <laughs> I'll take you back to Hello Spark and that ball boy business because I think Jason Punchin actually got got it really easy because he's the one when the ball boy had the ball in his hand that came to see him and said don't give them the ball back keep hold the ball and I'm sorry I don't know Justin Punchin he might be a good guy or not you just cannot teach kids to cheat that was cheating the kid was probably 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever you cannot 
teach him to cheat. And I thought, no one mentioned Jason Punchin, no one, even not Mourinho. Mourinho only said it was not me who educated the kid to cheat. And, and no one mentioned Punchin. And I think Punch, and seeing, I, I see the footage again in my head, him coming to the kid and said, don't give them the ball back, hold on to the ball, hold on to the ball, I think was completely wrong. And you cannot teach kids to cheat. And it's, and it's an affront to Jose Mourinho's Corinthian principles, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, whether it was, yeah, it was with Mourinho. Is it, okay, is it okay in your book, Jules, for Jose Mourinho to say to a young boy, don't do that again or you're going to get hit by day? <laughs> by Aspie as well. Of all people, Aspie Liquetta, who's one of the sweetest, probably the sweetest player they've got in the Chelsea squad. Of him, there was no chance he would have punched that kid. But, yeah. <laughs> Clive, what is your any other business? Uh, I actually want to throw it forward to this evening, actually, and I'm kind of which is Monday evening if sorry, you're listening Monday, on Tuesday. Monday evening if you're listening afterwards, and and you'll either there either will or won't be more booing for Sam Allardyce. I'm hoping there is, but one because I, I quite like Sunderland. I've got a, a, a personal affection for Sunderland. I haven't been there through my uh, years of my life up there. I'd like to see them stay up. How uh, many? How many years of your? See, life? I went to university. Three. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but to Clive Petty's bank, got a degree. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Pull them, we can get them at uh, Smith's these days. There's, um, but the, similarly, I've never quite understood this concept that people expect football fans are the only sort of paying customers that uh, are not allowed to expect express any other um, sort of emotion or or uh, opinion other than cheering on what they're watching. You know, if 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 Madonna turns up at a concert and is sings out of tune or forgets the words. No one in the audience goes, yeah, Madonna, you'll come through, play on. You know, it's, like, it's No, I mean, West Ham fans don't like what they're seeing. And it's not enough for Allardyce to just say, well, why are you so um, disappointed? You know, I've kept you up. Well, th- that's a great thing. But, you know, West Ham actually where they should be, in my opinion, in that league. The, the fact that they were kind of struggling, basically down to Sam Allardyce a lot of it anyway. And so all he's done is actually get them to position where they should be. And for that, he thinks he should have the eternal gratitude of West Ham fans. They don't expect to win things or every season, whatever it is, but they do aspire to actually attempting to compete for trophies or and having something that they might actually like to watch. And that's, that's what they were expressing when, when, uh, when they booed him. Um, you know. Well expressed, Clive, but I really don't see how, if your team is still technically, mathematically in danger of relegation, it can possibly no, help the well, cause to start booing when the players are still there and the manager's just got you three but points. Well, I don't, well, there's this thing again, they, they, they're perfectly entitled to express an opinion, and that's how they did it. I think booing is the mildest form they could possibly have taken. They just wanted to express a point of view. Ollie Kay, are you any other business? On Saturday, I had a day off. I had some friends staying. Um, and um, we, we thought, well, busman's holiday for me. We will we'll, we'll go to a game, and we were looking which game we should go to. Rounded about near me, we decided to drop down into non-league. We went to Halifax Town against um, Luton Town, top well near top of the table in the um, Squirrel Premier, and uh, it was a thoroughly enjoyable day. It was seventeen pound, which was more than I was expecting to pay to stand at the Shea, but it was, um, and the quality of football was not always. Wonderful, but we, we came away, all four of us, slightly fixated on Steve McNulty, who is the um, a name very familiar to uh, fans of non-league teams, but particularly Luton. He is well. The, when the game kicked off, because we got there just just as it was kicking off, the game kicked off, and we, we were just looking. And we went, God, look at the size of that! Just giant. Well, not giant in, in height. He was. I mean, he, he, just in, 
enormous in a way you just don't expect players to be. He was grey hair. He was uh, being heckled by the by the home fans throughout. Um, was was responsible for, a, for for Halifax's second goal, but but looked like you know he looked like he could play a bit. Looked like he he um, you know he knew the game in a way that others didn't. But looked like a guy who was probably um, forty. Perhaps past 40. I'm just looking at and, photographs of him, Molly. He looks about 68. <laughs> exactly. And so, so we, we we got out. So we we thought we thought we'd try and find out how how old um how old he was. He's 30. He's he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's um he's an inspiration to us all. I think it, it, it's um he's uh, advise everybody to, to to Google Steve McNulty, Luton Town. Look at the the size of him, the shape of him, the the, the gray hair, the fact he looks like he's um, he's had a tough life, and um, and the fact that he is still playing and he's playing for a team that's top of the coming um, to a league ground near you. <laughs> yeah, coming to a league ground near you too, and, and, and it makes you think. You know, you can do it too. If, if Steve McNulty can, you know, he's an everyman hero. Um, Did you catch the song? Is there a song? He's big. Well, he's round. I, 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 I was in the uh, I was in the home and the, the yeah there was certainly a very familiar song about size and pies and that kind of thing. <laughs> that, was the, um, that that was the home fans. N- nearly four thousand people there. I would recommend everybody just go and check out your your you know your local non-league team every once in a while. And Alison, do you have any other business? Oh, thanks for asking, Jules. Um, well, apart from my hay fever, I mean, what is the evolutionary point of hay fever? Blossom on the trees, you know how I feel. It is a... From a song? Yeah, well spotted. <laughs> um, uh, it's a personal thing. I, for, I had to watch Sunday's matches 80 minutes behind. So it's a wonderful thing, Sky Plus. So I started watching Fulham against Everton when, in the real world, 80 minutes are gone followed through to the Liverpool Spurs game as well and I found it utterly unbearable uh, there was a pact made in the house for the children that we would not try and find out the scores so we were doing it as if it was live and I don't know if I just you know, please contact the show if you also feel this way I felt like I had gone to a, a new partner's home and everyone had the in jokes and the stories people knew things you didn't I felt Uh, disparate. I felt uh, out of control. I didn't like the idea there were a lot of people in the world who knew things I didn't know and that my emotions were behind time. Um, it was utterly horrible. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I never, ever want to have to do it again. <laughs> isn't that the case generally, that people know things that you don't know? And... No, no, it isn't. No. It was new to me, Ollie. It was new to me, Oliver. Many thanks to the guests today. Julian Laurence, Clive Petty and Ollie Kay. A quick reminder, each week you can catch all the Premier League action via the Times app. Download it now. Do contact us. Goodbye. Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times. And it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. 
In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com